your Bibles, if you're new or visiting this morning, we're doing a series on James, and we're in James chapter 2. We're uh, kicking off there, uh, coming back to it. So I want to do a recap, but before I do a recap, uh, what the message today we'll be talking about is just that we can't see into people's hearts, right? And so we shouldn't make judgments about people's hearts, um, and we're going to talk about that together. And it's just really an easy human thing to do. And uh, it's just part of the fabric, I think, of who we are and how we operate as people. And, um, and so when you come on a Sunday, if you take a room like this and just ask, what are the needs? Uh, it, it all depends on who's in the room, right? And uh, you could be full of joy and full of hope. I know we're coming off of Kayla's wedding, just having a kick with that. That was just fantastic deal. But in the same week... Uh, one of our Shirtail relatives passed away, and um, uh, there was a funeral this week at uh, Gold Creek for one of the high school students that took their life. I mean, life is just a weird mix of really cool stuff and really tough stuff all at the same same time. So uh, I just want to pray this morning before we get started, uh, just because I know there's a mix of that in the room, and what we're going to talk about hits on it. So would you join me? Father, I prayed in the first service. We... Uh, live in a world that runs out of stuff. Uh, we run out of food and run out of water. We run out of time, run out of money. We run out of relationship. We run really empty. And that last song, that you're the fountain that fills, you're the fountain that meets us, is really, really true. And as people come, you're the only one who really knows what their heart need is this morning. Uh, and we are trusting that your word will speak to that. And, and so when we come, Father, we want to free the room up for you to interact with us as we go through your word. And we ask that um, you will minister, Lord. That's a word that has kind of fallen out of fashion, but it means to come and meet the need. Would you come and meet the need, whatever it may be this morning, good or bad? And we ask for your favor in that and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Okay, so let's go back. We'll do a quick recap because it's been two weeks. Last week we had Mike and Aaron Pentengill back and it was great to hear them and uh, what they've got going on in life. But uh, let's just go back. We started in James 2 and we talked about this idea of don't show partiality. If you're, that's ESV. If you're in NIV, it would say favoritism. So that's, the, that's the, the two words there that you can play off of each other. And we talked about how God set this up for Israel uh, as a nation. And the first place where he set it up was with justice. He said that judges had to be the same, that they couldn't take a bribe because a bribe would distort, would twist their ability to see straight. And obviously, injustice, poor people, right? Might be, well, what's the time of day? Rich people could bribe, right? And so God was saying, no. Judge the same way all the time. Rich or poor, go the same way. And so he was saying that that would make an incredible difference for the nation. The second area that he talked about not showing partiality or favoritism is in commerce. He said, don't have two different sets of weights. Don't, uh, you know, one person walks in the door, you use those weights, right? You can charge them a little more. Other person walks in the door, oh, here's the better weights. We won't charge you as much. And that kind of says, no, we're same weights. Right? Use the same weights. And he said, in a nation for your commerce, that will uh, bring health to the nation for commerce. Then the third one was social status. 
Right? God was particularly concerned for those who were kind of on the fringes and on the outskirts. Uh, he uses the category of orphans, widows, sojourners, uh, those groups of people that uh, didn't have the same uh, context as everybody else did, and he wanted them to feel apart. So I pointed out that these, these directions or these commands, and we obviously aren't looking at them. We looked at them two weeks ago. You can get the message and download it. But we said that these were given for the health and the prosperity of the nation, not just materially, right? Because you can have a lot of material stuff but still really be bankrupt. But it was also uh, relationally and spiritually. It would make them different. He said you will not be like other nations. Now, the, what's behind those, right? What's behind these up on the screen? And I want to suggest this morning, what's behind that is trust. Okay? Trust is a big issue. Think about marriage. Does trust matter in a marriage? Uh, enormously, right? If you are uh, married and uh, you're at work and your spouse is doing something else, uh, it matters that you can trust you know what they're doing, right? It has a deep impact on the relationship if you can. And so God's saying, hey, if you do these things, your culture, your nation will be a trustworthy culture. It will be a trustworthy nation and it will draw attention to me because it's different that way. So that's important because it sets up um, in the Proverbs wisdom um, Psalms material that they, it kind of sets a paradigm that God blesses the righteous and curses the unrighteous. Right? That's a very familiar, right? Those who do good get get. Bless those who do badly, don't. All right? and, and I think you're familiar with that. Um, but the extrapolation off of that can kind of be something that we kick off. Into. Not that that idea is wrong, but you can sometimes take it too far and read into things, things that aren't there. So let me show you how that works. So if someone had material gain or success, that must mean they have the favor of God. If they don't, they must have sinned. Therefore, the question by the disciples in John chapter 9, they came to and said, Master or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents? See, they were on an expedition. They were on a fact-finding mission. They want to know who messed up. Somebody messed up. The guy's blind. If he, they hadn't messed up, he obviously wouldn't be blind. So who was it that messed up, him or his parents? They want to know. And that's where this thinking uh, kind of goes to. They were well following the well-worn path that favor must be curried from those who have been blessed by God and those who were cursed, i.e. lepers, widows, orphans, the blind, the lame, etc., should be avoided. And Jesus kind of threw this paradigm on its head when he touched lepers. He didn't walk up to the leper and go, "Ooh, okay, be healed. That's not how he did it, all right? Be healed. Jesus touched lepers. That was unheard of. He touched blind people. Right? Nobody wanted to hang with them. He touched children. Remember, Jesus said they kept the ch- bring the children to me. By the way, uh, I just rabbit trail soapbox, but children are a big deal. Okay? And then people say, man, Mitch, you make a big deal out of children and youth ministries. Yes. No apologies for it. Absolutely none. They're your treasure, right? 
When we take good care of your treasure, we're taking good care of you. And so Jesus touched children. Jesus touched tax gatherers. I mean, nobody even wanted to be in the same room with them, let alone have a meal with them. And he was there with them. So, and there were more, right? And you can find this in other parts of the Bible. For example, I just, uh, if you're reading through the Bible, you probably are close to, in, or just finished the book of Job, depending on where you are. I just finished. And uh, that book is strange in the fact that Job is complaining that uh, God has not been fair to him. And his friends come in. He's got three friends that come in and counsel against, with, alongside, whatever way you want to take it. And they lay these arguments out. And they are brilliant, godly arguments. They're arguments I would use in that situation. But in the end, you find out that they all three get rebuked. <laughs> it's like, what? How does that work? And so... Uh, we're going to look at James. James is doing some of the same kind of stuff here in chapter 2. So let's, let's go to James. We're in chapter 2. We'll start with verse 1 just to review and uh, remember what it says. My brothers, it says, Show no partiality or, again, favoritism as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. All right, so he's talking here about because of Jesus, we should operate this certain way. For if a man wearing a gold ring and a fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here over in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so what James is getting at here is the issue of Making distinctions based off of appearance. Now, at the first, this is a little weird for us because we don't have the kind of culture, uh, particularly at Northview, that we base esteem off of how we dress. Okay? Um, I dress this nice because my wife dresses me. All right? Otherwise, I'd be in blue jeans and a t-shirt and sneakers. All right? But, I mean, on an average, we kind of all dress the same and, uh, you know, if somebody came in a suit, we wouldn't think that much of it. Oh, they dressed up for Sunday. Cool, right? Somebody came in blue jeans. Oh, they came to church. You know, that's how they come to church. So this doesn't work. But let's flip the paradigm a little bit. And let's say this morning, as I walk over here and I'm standing here talking to you, uh, Russell Wilson comes into the door. Okay? Now, on the other door comes in uh, my buddy Sean, who's our street buddy over uh, at the 7-Eleven and walks up and down and... And Sean comes and sits over here by Joel and Liz and them, okay? Who would get more attention? Whose autograph would you want? Hey, Sean, can I get your autograph, dude? You're famous. Mitch talked about you. No, I don't know how it goes, right? We would be drawn, there would be an overabundance of attention towards us. So now maybe Russell isn't the best person to use, but you get the idea. Right? We do make distinctions that way based on accomplishments. Based uh, In our culture, it's not so much dress-based as it is accomplishment-based. Okay? And so James is saying, hey, if you, if you go all out for that person and then say, that, well, hey, look, there's not any chairs, but sit on the floor. I guess we'll let you in. That's what James is talking about here. And we saw that this was a, a continuing problem. The problem didn't go away quickly. It pops up again in the New Testament. Uh, just looking at review here, we looked at 
In 1 Corinthians it says this, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but actually for the worse. Paul's saying, you know, when you get together, you're actually, it's worse. You're messing it up. You, you aren't doing what you're supposed to do. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you can be recognized, right? And what Paul's saying here is it's so easy to fall into cliques. It's so easy to fall into little pods, and our pod's good, and I don't know who you are, and you can't join it, right? And so have you ever walked into a church like that? Like, you're the outsider, and you know very clearly you're the outsider. And no one talks to you. Nobody's greeting you. Nobody's welcomed you. Nobody said hi. And you're like, eh, glad to be here. Yeah, that's good. I'm out of here. Right? Kind of thing. Paul actually gets to this uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, earlier in the book. Um, he gets to the heart of what's going on. Here's the heart of what's going on. If this Now this, I'm sorry, let me go back to this. We've got to remember, the point I missed is, what's the context for this? The context for this was communion. This was happening around the Lord's Supper, and they were elbowing and jockeying each other for position. And Paul says, some of you get drunk, some of you eat all the food, some people get nothing. What in the world is wrong with you? You're, you've, you've made it about the meal, you've completely forgot about Jesus. Right? That was the context of that. Now let's go to earlier in the book where he says this. He says, for it has been reported to me before this. I don't I ran out of room. Let me give you the verse ahead of it. It says, I appeal to you. In other words, he's appealing to them as brothers in the Lord by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He says this then, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean is that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Paulus. Oh, yeah, well, I follow Cephas. Oh, yeah, well, I follow Christ. Right? That's kind of the tone of it. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Well, okay, I also did baptize the household of Stephanas, but beyond that, I don't know whether I was baptized anyone else. The point is, it wasn't about who got baptized by who. Right? They were wearing it as patches. You know, they're NASCAR patches. Baptized by Paul, baptized by Cephas, spiritual mucky-muck, right? Kind of thing. And, and they wouldn't associate with other people because they, their baptism was illegitimate. So I, I don't think this is too hard to see. What are we really dealing with here? What we're dealing with is spiritual one-upmanship, right? I'm holier than you are. Um, I'm closer to Jesus than you are. I'm with Jesus in the inner circle. I was baptized by Paul, and you weren't. Neener, 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 neener. Okay, now, do adults ever do that? Yeah, we do. We're terrible at it. <laughs> okay, we just seem to fall into that. Um, Paul has a great response to this at the end of this Verse here, verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent words. Remember they were getting on Paul like, Oh, Mr. Big Letter Writer. Yeah, in person, dorky, dumpy, little busted up dude. We're not that impressed, right? And so he had to defend his apostleship. 
with that. But he said, not of eloquent words, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. And what's the power of the gospel? The power of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for all. Right? Isn't that the power of the gospel? That Jesus came to die for us? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life? That's open for everybody. That's mass inclusion, people. Okay? We forget that. And so in the gospel, then Paul says what? In Galatians, there's no, there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. And James takes it here, goes, yeah, and there's not rich or poor either. There's safe. See, what we get kicked into, I think, is there's no they. Well, there's us and then them, right? They, right? They are some mysterious inner circle, right, that exists. They have all the privileges. They have all the favors. They, there's, in the gospel, there's no they. In the gospel, there's we. We were saved. We have received eternal life. We've all been found by God. We've all been saved by faith. We all have been redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus. So therefore, the distinguishing marker isn't the differences among us. It's Jesus. Right? It's Jesus who is the distinguishing. What's the distinguishing marker? We have been saved by Jesus. Now that may not sound like a big deal, but it really is. Look at how James hits this now in verses 5 through 7. So he says this. Okay, listen, listen, right? Hello. My beloved, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Before God, aren't we all, all poor? Right? So James Big is saying, how can you have a big head? Right? How can you be so full of yourself? How can you be playing all, all these mind games in terms of who's more important than who and fighting over it and having divisions? Like, weren't we all poor? Weren't we all lost in our sin? That's what he's saying in there. And he says, he says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are the rich the ones? Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Are not the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you're called? Three rhetorical questions. Right? Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Do poor people oppress anybody? Do you have to worry about them taking you into court? Most of the time, no, right? It's usually the poor people who get taken into court. And who does it? Somebody who has power. Who has power? People who have money. Right? So James says, well, isn't it the rich who oppress you? Isn't, aren't they the ones that drag you into court? Right? I think I was saying in first service, just think about how much money is invested in one year in the United States of America in litigation. Right? And lawyers' fees. Now, when I say this, I am not saying anything bad about lawyers. There are very good lawyers. I have friends that are good lawyers. They do a very good job. It's their ministry, and they nail it. All right? And they have to. That's what they're called to do. But, litigation. You didn't manicure my fingernail, right? I'm emotionally damaged. I'm suing you. Okay? That's about the level of silliness we've gotten to. Are there legitimate things that lock? Yes, very much so. 
But uh, have you read some of the frivolous ones? Uh, you know, on MSN or whatever, the, the things, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. You're suing for that? And James is saying, guys, you're going to get all tied up in stuff that just wastes money and effort. You know, people say in our country, well, how, um, why can't we feed the poor? Just think how much money we'd have if we didn't do lawsuits. How much money would we have for children that don't have food and people who don't have clothes? And My gosh, we would have bundles, right? That's what God was trying to point out here. So he's saying, and who are the ones that blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So he's saying in their culture, it was the, the rich that had that. Now, are there rich people who follow God? Yes. Okay. The problem is not with people who are rich who follow God. The problem is people making distinctions between the rich and the poor and saying because you're rich you have more value than a poor person does. That's where the that's where the hitch in the giddy up is. All right. So what's the issue here? The issue is that of measuring someone's worth by outside appearances and thus granting status to them based on that appearance. That's what, that's what James is arguing against. And it, and it must be said, again, why do we curry favor with the rich? It's easy, because they can do something for us. They can do something for us that we can't do for ourselves, and so it's very attractive that way. And what we've, we've said is that we can gain by their gifts, right? We can gain by their status. My reputation is enhanced because I have them as friends. Yeah, Mitch, he ain't much, but boy, you should know who his friends are. Man, you know, he's got buddies, right? And, and therefore, my reputation. Do you get that if uh, the street people are your friends? Yeah, he hangs out with street people. That's awesome, you know? No, that's not normally how it goes, right? It doesn't, it doesn't quite work that way. Now, balance point. Does this mean that you never say hi to someone if they have wealth? No, that is not what James is saying. James is not saying the wealthy have done something wrong. It is not wrong if you have money. He's talking about how we make distinctions because of that. All right? Uh, At Norfolk, what we've always said is that we are called to different things. All right? We've said different gifts equal sacrifice. Does that make sense? Some of us can give a lot more than others can give. Those of us who can't give much you're not obligated to give what a rich person is, but you're obligated to give what the Lord told you to give. What we've said in our church is if everybody gave what Jesus told them to give, we'd have more than enough. You ever heard that from me before? Okay. So therefore, it doesn't depend on what the neighbor next to you is doing. What depends is are you doing what Jesus has asked you to do? Right? And whether it's a little or a lot, it really isn't the issue. The issue is faithfulness. You're not comparing uh, what gives. Some of us are much better at prayer. Right? We sacrificially give in terms of prayer. Some of us are really good at service. And so we jump in on the service things. And, and that's, that's where our bandwidth really is. We'll say something about that uh, a little farther in the message. Okay? But what God's saying here is keep your head straight. All right? God loves everybody. Jesus died for everybody. And the Holy Spirit is reaching out to everybody. So don't make distinctions about that. The real issue is not are you rich or poor. The real issue is are you saved? 
You are? Welcome to the family. Okay? That's kind of what James is getting at here. But I think we have to admit, just on a, on a human level, it's just so blasted easy to fall into this, isn't it? I mean, we don't even have to try. <laughs> we just kind of do it. The mistake, again, we're making, judging by outward appearance. And the mistake we make there is what we've got to realize, the outside does not tell us what's going on on the inside. Right? If you're over 40, you know that. Right? What's going on on the outside and what's going on on the inside are sometimes not. For example, look at us as a group of people. We look good. Okay? Not extravagant, but good. We're healthy. We're well-fed. We've got good clothes on. Uh, if you walked in, there doesn't look to be a need in this room at all. Why even preach the gospel? We're okay. We've got it nailed. Now, is that what's going on in our hearts? No, there's a few needs in our hearts, right? There's uh, some levels of depth of things that got to be dealt with, and, and we desperately need God. But can you always see that? No. So we could make... The assumption this morning that everybody's good, why even preach a message when the truth is somebody's very depressed this morning might even be thinking of committing suicide? How do we know that? We've had a rash of them in our area just the last two weeks. And you look at the fallout of it, the debris field of it, and it's just stunning, right? So the problem is, and I'm probably I'm speaking more to me than even you guys, Right? Who's the worst person in the world for this? The pastor. Oh, well, I think God, you know. Ugh. Now, I have to do that. But I have learned, boy, I'm much more careful than I was 20 years ago. Trust me. Okay? I don't know what's going on in the heart. And I ask a lot more questions than I used to because I've learned to be careful that what's on the outside isn't often what's going on on the inside. And that's what James is, is trying to point out here. Here's the other problem. We don't see people the way God sees people. We look at them and go, Ugh, yeah, right? And, and God sees them. He sees them for why He created them. He sees them for what they are. He sees them in terms of how He's placed value on them. And remember, what's, what's big in the eyes of man is little in the eyes of God. Right, And so we may look at somebody and go, man, they are, you know, actually, if they were gone, it really wouldn't make that much difference. And God doesn't look at it that way. He's going, whoa, 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 whoa. I see that person vastly differently than the way you're looking at it. The Bible gives us insight on this from several different angles. I picked one. Uh, I'm sure you'll recognize this one. This is in First Samuel. Samuel is called to anoint David as the king. And Samuel's got seven sons. And so... Uh, God says to Samuel, go and anoint. And Samuel goes, are you kidding? Saul will kill me. And he says, well, just go as a sacrifice and call everybody to sacrifice and, and I'll show you who it is. And so Samuel comes and Samuel's a godly dude, right? One of the great people in the Bible. So I feel a little bit better that he stumbles this way. And, and it's not just me, but it says when he came, so Jesse lines up his sons, right? David's dad lines up his son. He's got seven of them there. He lines them all up. And Samuel looks at Eliab and he goes, wow, check this dude out. This has got to be the guy. And uh, surely, he says, this is the Lord's anointed. Bingo, got him. And the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him for the Lord does not see, for the Lord sees not as man sees. 
Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Matter of fact, the guy that Samuel was supposed to anoint wasn't even there, wasn't even in the crowd. He was out tending sheep. And Samuel, the Lord kept saying, no, no, said no seven times. You got any other sons? Well, yeah, there's a kid out with the sheep. And well, go get him, right? And when it comes, God says, that's the guy. And it said he was ruddy and handsome. But did his brothers give him any account? No. He's the runt of the litter, right? He's the David. He takes care of the sheep, man. What prestige did he have? None. But in the eyes of God, what did he have? Great prestige. And so the Bible teaches, be careful. Be careful. We must always remind ourselves that God looks on the heart. Right? God looks on the heart. We can't see the heart. He alone knows the true status of the person. We don't, although we often think we do. And this is where we get in trouble. We make value judgments based off of what we see and think that that's exactly what God sees as as well. It's the same thing. And we've got to learn it's not the same thing. We can't see the heart. Right? So what it means is... James is saying, keep your, keep your head straight on this, okay? Um, and here's the other problem with this deal. Um, we don't think it's that big a deal. It's not that, okay, off a little bit, but it's not that big a deal. If I think that person's a gunky, well, uh, you know, it's fine. Um, it's not a bad sin. And James goes bullseye on this. Look at what James says to this one. In verses 8, he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Remember the scribe came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, There's two. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. James calls this the royal law. Love God, love other people. He says, If you really fulfill the royal law, the kingly law, right? God's law, according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor yourself. You are doing well. So he compliments them. But if you show partiality or favoritism, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the whole law, but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. See, so we have, we don't just do that with people, but we do it with sin. Like there's bad sins. Like these sins, he lists right here, these are bad sins, right? Uh, Don't commit adultery, don't commit murder. That's bad stuff, Jack. Don't be doing that. Oh. Yeah, now this other stuff is still sin, but come on, it's not that bad, right? I mean, seriously? We, We call it respectable sins, right? We have a lot of respectable sins in America that are okay. Like talking bad about each other. That's not that bad. I didn't really mean it. We still have a, we may say it more sophisticatedly, but we still have a junior high attitude in our heart, right? And And so here's what James is saying. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. If you commit adultery, but don't, but I'm sorry, if you don't commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. And what he's saying is, if you don't commit adultery and you don't commit murder, but you do commit partiality, you're still a transgressor of the law and guilty. What's, he's, what's James trying to point out here? What he's trying to point out is, in our eyes, it's not a big deal, 
But in God's eyes, it's a big deal. Okay? God sees it as something that wrecks the inner fabric of his body, of his bride. Love your neighbor as yourself. James says if we do that, we do well. So when we get caught in this, what we've got to admit simply is that it's sinful. We are sinful and we need to confess the need to course correct on the issue. Right? So James then goes on to say this. So, so he says, So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What's James saying? He's saying what Jesus has often said, and Jesus used many parables for He said, how many in you here have experienced the mercy and grace of God? Hello, right? You did, right? Okay, if you've experienced the mercy and grace of God, then you should extend that to someone else. That's, that's what it's really saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. We always have to keep in mind that God has extended mercy to us. Therefore, we should extend mercy to others. We forget that part. Right? We start thinking we're righteous and God was lucky to include us into the family because we can really bring something to the table. Now, that's not how it works. Right? We're fortunate to be brought to the table. God has extended mercy to us. And, the, and so those who God has been gracious to should be gracious to others. Remember the parable of the steward where uh, he owed like a million dollars and he came and he couldn't pay it and he begged. He was about ready to be thrown in jail. And the, the landowner had mercy on him. He forgave the whole debt. million bucks. I don't care. That's still a lot of money, people, right? He forgave that debt. So then that guy who got forgiven that debt and was extended mercy goes out and finds a guy who owes him a hundred bucks. You can find the story in Matthew 18, by the way, if you're wondering where it's Matthew 18. And he throttles the guy, shakes him up, demands that he pay him his hundred bucks. Guy says, gets on his knees just like he does. Please forgive me. I'll repay you everything. And he said, no, and he threw him in jail. What was missing there? Complete disconnect between the grace extended personally to extending grace personally. A complete disconnect. There was, there was no, whoa, wait a minute. I remember what Jesus did for me. Oh, you know what, dude? Hey, let it go. We're good. I got forgiven a million. You know what? Forgive the hundred bucks. And we have the hardest time with that because we... We grab, right? We hold on to grudges. We, and God's going, clear the deck. Get rid of it. Micah uh, encapsulates this really well uh, in his book. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. NIV would say, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So this morning, let's do a practical. Uh, we're talking this, uh, this series, the title is Shoe Leather Wisdom. Uh, let's start here at church and let's start in the church context because that's the context James was talking and writing in. Uh, now, obviously, it isn't just Sundays. Uh, we have a church community, right? We operate uh, church gathered, church scattered. But um, 
Let, let's just talk church gathered for a minute. Let's talk about the room right here. Let's talk about how we operate. Uh, and three scenarios for you to think through on partiality and favoritism uh, when you walk into church. So when you walk in Sunday mornings, who do you say hi to? Probably your friends, right? What if there's somebody there you don't know? Well, they will say hi to them. The fit team will say hi to them. The Somebody, the greeters at the door will say hi to them. And since they've been said hi to, I don't need to say hi to them. Where did you get that? Well, I wouldn't know what to say because it would go wrong. I'm, I might say, well, have you been there long and they've been here eight years and I'll feel stupid, right? Uh, no, here's an easy way around that. Hi, I've not met you before. Have you been at Norview Long? Yes? Oh, wow. How cool we finally get to meet. How did you get here? And if they're brand new, oh, wow, how cool. I'm glad to be one of the first people to greet you. Come on in. Would you like to sit with me? Right? In other words, whose job is that? It's not they's job. It's we's job. Our job. Right? We are to greet in the con We're not to play favorites and only go talk to the people who we like and who are our buddies or posses, but to say hi to everybody, especially people we don't know why. Because people reached out to us when we first came to Lord. I can remember how people reached out to me when I first came to Christ at Green Bay. I was blown away by it. I had no idea what, the, what that was. It had me upside down. They, had, they care about me. These are weird people. Right? They won me over. They extended great mercy to me. And since great mercy has been extended to me, I should extend great mercy to other people. So should you. Right? Second question. In the church setting, who do you reach out to? I mean, when you walk in and you see people sitting down, what if you saw a couple that you don't know? But your friends are over here, and let's say you see that couple sitting over there by Nels and Nancy, right? And you don't know them. And, but you're going to head over this way. Well, I would suggest to you, if you notice them, Jesus has pointed them out to you. He didn't point them out to you and say, Oh, Lord, bless them. I hope they like their seat and you go over hang with your friends. You could at least stop and say, Hi, we just walked in. We've noticed you this morning. We've not met you before. We're, you know, Biff and Scooter. And what's your names? Right? And, and you could meet them. By the way, we've got some people in our, our church body that just do a fantastic job of that. But more of us could do it. And then the third question is, who do you serve with? Do you only serve with your friends? I mentioned about some of us are more service-oriented. We're going to work harder to kick up more Go projects. Because one of the fun things about Go projects is you can't determine who's going to show up. Right? It might be somebody you don't know. (gasps) Oh, my goodness. What a shock. But you know what happens when you work together today? Especially if you get grungy and dirty and sweaty. All that status you know, outward baloney goes away and you just end up having a kick and great time together. And what happens when you come to church? Hey, Biff Scooter, that was so awesome to spend the day with you, man. Right? And a friendship was formed. I mean, look around church. Ask yourself, are these the people you would have picked to be your friends? And I can tell you resoundingly, the answer is no. You would have not picked them. Right? Are they the people Jesus has picked? Yes. Has it been a trip to get to know some of them? Yes. 
There are miracle, miraculous stories in this room. And, and half of them we don't know because we've never talked to the person. We don't know how they came to Christ. Right? But you get on a go project together and you're working. Well, how'd you come to the Lord? And you hear this story and you're like, you have got to be kidding me. I, I had no idea. That's what's so great, like the ladies' retreats. I know the three gals that are sharing the testimony side. Gals, going to blow the doors off. Okay? Uh, just go. Trust me. It's worth hearing the stories. And, and so that's what God is saying, is saying, hey, I accepted them. Can't you accept them? Do we always have to fight and squabble and cackle about who's the greatest? By the way, it, who else fell into that pattern? The disciples. On the way to Jerusalem, what are they arguing about? Who's the greatest? Right? Who's Jesus love more? I'm his pet. Right? They, they missed it. And James is saying, don't miss it. Now, why would James say that? Just stop for a second. Why would he, why would he argue about this partiality thing? Who do you think stumbled and sinned that way? James did. Who did he do it to? His brother. Who was his brother? Jesus. Hey, Mr. Big Shot, you're a prophet. Why don't you go to Jerusalem and tell them who you are? <clears throat> right? As only brothers can. Right? Now, brothers got a special way of doing it to each other. Right? We can bury each other well. And, and James was guilty of that. And he watched it in the church and he went, man, this is not good. And so he's arguing, he's coaching for not sinning this way. Don't show favoritism. Keep it straight across the board. Greet everybody. Be warm to everybody. Show mercy to everybody. Don't avoid people. Right? Hang out with them. Talk to them. And if we do that as a body, um, it will have incredible results. If people come to Norfew and sense the manifest presence of Jesus... It will be because we are operating graciously and we're operating mercifully. Doesn't that make sense? It's a great call. Let's do that, Norfew. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, I'm sure there are probably better illustrations or better way to highlight what you were trying to say there. But I pray you take what we've covered and you can use it um, with us, it's easy for us to get into factions and divisions and, um, and to pit ourselves against each other. Who's more right? Who's more holy? Who's better? Who's favored? Instead of realizing that all of us have received tremendous grace from you. You've been so kind. And we, we ask for your help as a body that we might just it might just ooze out of us um, care and, and compassion for people and, uh, Lord, uh, warmth towards people. We ask that they would sense your welcome when they come in here. Help us not to distinguish between people because we can't read hearts, only you can. We ask for your favor just to treat people as people and welcome them no matter who walks in the door. And we give that to you with great hope in your name. Amen. All right, would you stand with us as we close out our time worshiping together?